We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The Score! Now let's talk a little bit about our guy, Joe West. Cowboy. Two rules of baseball. First rule of baseball is you got to catch the ball, and the next rule is don't mess with Joe West. No game has ever been too big for Joe West. Any big game, I'll I'll take Joe West behind the plate any day because he's not going to lose control of the game. Well, Joe West is not going back behind the, the catcher. He's not going to back away from confrontation. It's just not in his makeup. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. He's a strong man. Nice. Stephen Vogt is thinking, I hit that ball on the screws, and he's not even rubbing. Joe West, tough guy. This is during the break, the San Diego chicken handing flowers to Joe West. Congratulations to uh, Joe West. 5,376 games and a fantastic career. The guy asked me, why Why don't you mess with Joe West? But I'll tell you why, because he's going to throw a lasso around you. Tie you and then make you listen to his country western album. Exactly right. He just might sing to you. If you cheat on me, you'll be out at home. All right, I've had enough. You're out of here. What do you mean? You can't throw an umpire out of the game. Yeah. All right, you're out of here. The Parkins and Spiegel Show. Afternoons on the score. Uh, the great Chris Tannehill with the production piece. You're listening to Parkinson Spiegel on the score. Danny's on paternity leave. It is me, Matt Spiegel, and you, Mark Grody, right here with our chance to talk to the legendary umpire Joe West, who joins us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Joe West, welcome to the score. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you today? Well, I'm wonderful, and uh, what an introduction. I don't have all those clips. I can't believe y'all put all that together. <laughs> oh, you bet. You bet. Got to make you feel comfortable. Um, well, we'll be hearing you. Welcome to the media, Joe West. My goodness, <laughs> 5460 is the name of the Joe West podcast. It is set to launch on May 2nd on the Podcast Heat Network, available for download on all major podcast networks. 5460, that's how many games you umped, right? You beat Bill Clem. You're the all-time most uh, active umpire in the history of the sport, Joe West. 
Well, I'm not active anymore, but yeah, <laughs> I work more games than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Way to call me on it. Uh, deserved, deserved. Joe, our listeners have been looking forward to this. Thanks for doing it. I got to tell you, me and Mark, we were talking about it. We feel like we've known you our whole life, you know? And, and the truth is, <laughs> we have. You started as a National League ump in 1976, uh, full-time in 78. And I have to admit that I myself... I kind of hated you for a lot of those years, Joe. Uh, I thought we should start with honesty. I didn't know you, but as an umpire, I thought I hated you. Please don't hang up. Hope honesty's okay. No, you know what? Uh, I have a good friend whose husband was a country singer named Jean. Her husband was Gene Autry. And she said, Joe, it's amazing how much I like you because everybody in the world hates you. <laughs> she said, but that's the part of the, that's the part of the job that you understood when you got into it. So everybody's going to hate the umpire no matter what you do. And I said, well, you're right, Jackie. It's, it's going to be that way at least for half of them. You know, no matter what you call, half the people hate you. So that's that's that you don't get in this job to try to win friends and influence, you know, people. So. Uh, you win. You get into this job because you love the game of baseball. You're doing that's your. That's what ju- I hope this. I hope this podcast will show that that umpires are human. They're not two headed monsters like everybody's made them out to be. And and I think with all the friends that I'm that are going to join us on this podcast, you'll be able to see that. You'll see see the human element of it. So that'll be cool. We'll look very forward to that. And in, in the name of honesty, Matt was very honest in his assessment of you as as an umpire. That mm-hmm. at one point in time he did not. So Joe, I want to ask you to be very honest here as well. Did you be honest? Did you enjoy confrontation with managers as an umpire? No, because if you kicked him out, he had to write a report. I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> the paperwork. Yeah, you don't like the paperwork. That's, that was awful. But uh, you know what? There were there were certain things that you have to do as an umpire, and part of it is control the game. And there's certain jobs that the manager has to do, and, and part of that is to take up for his players. So that's, that's part of the game. That's part of the story. That's part of the whole line. And, and I tell people all the time, people don't understand that, Baseball is a big family, and sometimes you have arguments in your family. That just happens. But uh, I think the greatest part of the game is that every day I was out there, I was witnessing a piece of history. Sometimes history was a little bit bigger than others. But uh, every day you're out there, you're part of the history and the fabric of this whole game, and it was a wonderful experience. I can't think of anything that I could have done it and opened as many doors as I did as umpiring. Man. I was lucky. I, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I was very lucky. You know, the history that you've been around, is, it's outrageous. I mean, Joe was there when Willie McCovey hit his 500th home run. Joe, Joe was there when Nolan Ryan threw his fifth no-hitter. A-Rod slapping the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's hands, Joe West. <laughs> you were the guy. We're talking to Bronson tomorrow on this show. Uh, you know, so like that that's crazy that all those moments. But I got to ask, really, you didn't enjoy the contentiousness of the relationships every once in a while, like our friend Mark was asking about. It seemed like it seemed like maybe you leaned into it a little bit. I'm thinking about Mark Burley and some balk calls in Cleveland uh, and Ozzie Guillen losing his mind and that whole White Sox thing. It seemed like you kind of enjoyed every once in a while when they would turn on you just a little bit. You know, uh, Mark balked the first one early in the game. And uh, everybody loved to work Mark Burley's game because he pitches fast. Yeah. We, we loved working his games. And then late in the game, as the game progressed, he needed to pick somebody off, and he balked again. And 
hawks are kind of funny. They just kind of jump out at you. They're not they're not something you look for when they happen. You see them and then you react. But uh, and when he threw the glove up in the air, I could hear the plate umpire said, "No, Joe, don't throw him out." <laughs> really? <laughs> he, oh yeah. He didn't want and, you to escalate it. Right. No, and and but you can't let him throw the glove up in the air sixty, seventy feet. So I had to throw him out. And and, and Ozzy was, I think Ozzy was already gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ozzy, Ozzy, I think Ozzy looked forward to the confrontation more than anybody I was around. I don't, you know, maybe not. Maybe Earl Weaver. You know, Ozzy, I only kicked Ozzy out a few times, but Earl Weaver never finished the game I was in. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy and Earl Weaver getting compared by Joe West here on the score. I love it. That day, Hawk Harrelson went off on you, and we have played that tape so many different times and just kind of laughed along with Hawk. Hawk. Joe West just wanted to stick it right up his behind, and he did. Yes, Joe West just wanted to stick it right up his behind. But now, you and Hawk are cool. See, this is this is an example of how people eventually get to know you, Joe, or mellowing with age? What To what do we attribute you and Hawk being pals now? Well, Hawk, Hawk likes my handicap. It's up and up where if we get on the same team, we win. <laughs> so when we play golf together, we usually win. <laughs> but but Hawk, Hawk's favorite player was Mark Burley for the same reason. He, he pitched fast. He was a good guy. And, and Mark is a good guy. You know, he just... He just balked a couple of times, you know. And when he told the office, I never had a balk called on me. They called me back and said he, he wasn't telling the truth. He's had 15 called on him. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's that's beside the point. You know what was really cool is uh, Jerry Reinsdorf got involved in that. Yeah. And he asked uh, Joe Torrey why I was picking on his White Sox. And Joe said, if you got a problem with him, you talk to him. And Joe didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> Well, you and Joe, you and Joe got a history like way, way back. I know you and Joe. There was a shoving incident years and years ago. But go ahead. So Joe Torrey got involved with you and Jerry, and he told uh, Mr. Reinsdorf. He said, "Well, you got a problem with you talk to him." So we had to sit down in Arizona during the winter meetings, and uh, I explained to him, "Look, I, I don't pick on anybody, but I have to run the ball game. I got too much to, to do to pick on somebody." Too much to to try to get right for me to be looking to pick on somebody, and he he agreed with me. And you know what? He actually agreed with me on the box too. <laughs> so, but uh, then he asked me about, well, what about Ozzy? And I said, I didn't tell you to hire him. He's your problem, He's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's on you, pal. All right. So so you said that when when you kick a player out or you get into one of these like vicious face-to-face classic umpire manager fights that the worst part is the paperwork after. But does it also ruin your day? Does it ruin your night? Do you think about it all night, or were you able to compartmentalize and put it away? Well, it should be over after the game because if you have a a situation, you'll usually write the whole report right right there at the the locker room before you leave. So, yeah, you leave it at the park. It's kind of like pushing the boat away from the dock. You've left all your problems on shore. So, uh, yeah, you you don't carry it over anything like that. You know, it, it's really funny. I, I think the guy who got kicked out more than anybody was Bobby Cox. Mm. With the Braves in Toronto and so on. And, but the next day for Bobby, it was new day. 
like nothing happened. Well, that's the, that's did. the game, though, isn't it? Because that's that Joe. That's kind of that's the lesson of the game. I think that's why some of us love it as much as we do. Is like you can fail, oh, yeah. things can go bad, things can be ugly. You got to wake up and show up the next day. That's exactly right, and you got to go out there and do it again. And the, and the coolest part of this is, and I, I tell people all the time, there is no rehearsal. There's no place for an umpire to go to rehearse. There's no batting practice. There's no, there's nothing where you can go rehearse. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. You have to do it all spontaneous and on the spot. So uh, that sometimes can be difficult because mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember ever playing with a band where I didn't have some sort of rehearsal. <laughs> so <laughs> even even the Hee Haw band at the Grand Ole Opry, we we sang through everything we were going to do twice before we did it. So, uh, but anyway. Uh, it's it's a unique job. It's a unique position, and you're going to be hated and despised by people just because they're pulling for somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's nobody goes to the game and pulls for you. Not one person, yeah. Joe. Not not one person is going there and pulling for you, including well, it, you even, know? even the umpire. Even the umpire's wife, because she didn't want anybody to know that she's with you. <laughs> <laughs> she she hide her head every once in a while, yeah. Joe. Oh yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> She says, I can only hear you called, being called dirty names so many times. And I got those, you know. Uh, it, th- that makes sense. I understand. So instead of lashing out at those fans, she would just disassociate with you. <laughs> but see, then, too, you know, I broke the record for most games umpired in uh, White Sox, at White Sox ballpark. Yes. You know? Congrats. And, and the entire White Sox staff was gracious. They helped me with tickets. Of course, I had to pay for them. You know Jerry's an owner, but he ain't going to give me no tickets. Jesus. So I had to pay for I had to pay for 127 tickets, and then uh, the Oak Ridge boys actually called him and asked him if they could sing the national anthem for it. And Larry Gatlin came, uh, Amy Lou Harris came. We had Hall of Fame football players Dave Casper and Paul Krause came. Uh, we had uh, we had all kinds of all kinds of people there. We had basketball players. We had basketball referees there. Joey Crawford came, and when he saw Mark Eaton, Mark Eaton said, "Hey, you caught so many fouls on me, I, I missed the block shot title that year." So they had to sit together. <laughs> oh, look at that! You yeah. brought Joey Crawford and Mark Eaton together. This is—I mean, yeah. we remember that night, Joe. We were talking about it. By the way, Joe West is our guest, and his new podcast is called Fifty Four Sixty. The Joe West podcast, that's the number of MLB games that Joe West umpired in his career. Your music credibility is impressive, Joe. Like, I, you know, it's, you've made obviously some albums yourself. We heard a little bit of Blue Cowboy on the way in. But those names you just mentioned, that, that's some royalty. When, when I saw that night that Emmy Lou Harris was there, that might be the greatest country harmony singer of all time. Her and Linda Ronstadt, like those are the people that you go to if you want the very best in the world. Um, you've gotten in with some some unbelievably legit musicians. What do you love? What do you love about making music, Joe? Well, it takes my mind off of baseball. I, that was the best thing ever happened to me. Was I started dabbling in it, and uh, and the coolest thing is that you, you're right about Emmy Lou, uh, Merle Haggard's uh, manager, and I talk once a week. His name is Tex Whitson, and he said she was the best female entertainer to work with of any of them. And so that that comes from Haggard's people, you know. They they loved her, hmm. and Willie Willie Nelson used to take her on the road with him, so she could open for him and stuff. And she's just a she's just a great singer in her own right, you know. So uh, I was lucky enough to be living in Houston when I cut that album, and uh, I was good friends with Mickey Gilley and Johnny Lee, 
and uh, and they helped me a lot. And uh, it was I was really uh, an actual entertainer at Gillies before I ever tried to promote the album. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was I was really lucky. I I didn't have to pay the dues that the normal singer would have to pay. I was lucky. This this game opened a lot of doors for me. And then uh, Tex Whitson, Haggard's manager, and Sam Lavella got me on uh, the event at the Grand Ole Opry, and I, I sang at the Grand Ole Opry with the Hee Haw Band. So I've been really lucky to, to fall into these kind of things. So Joel, what's the goal? Uh, what's the goal with the music? You want to tour? You what's what's the ultimate? What's the grand prize with the music? Well, nobody in their right mind would tour like these musicians do. <laughs> That's it's harder than anything the baseball people do. You're on a bus, you go to the next town. You, you sing, you perform, you break down, you go to the next town. It, it's tough. Uh, I, I enjoy going to see them perform, my friends perform, and every now and then they'll get me up to sing. I like that. When I go to Cincinnati, I play at Bobby Mackey's place across the river. When I go to Phoenix, I play at Handlebar J's and stuff like that. And I, and I know everybody in the band, you know. Hmm. I, went on, I went on an Opry cruise one time, and this was the, the Grand Ole Opry cruise. And when I got there, Gene, Gene Watson's playing, Larry Gatlin's playing, uh, Jeannie Seeley's playing. There were a couple other entertainers there. And I looked at the band that's backing them all up. And I had performed at one time or another with everybody in the band. <laughs> wow. See, that's, that's, yeah. that's amazing, Joe. See, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer as well and a musician. So to, to hear you talk baseball and music is a sweet spot that I never knew we would hit with Joe West. It's, it's, you know, conversationally, it's like, it, it's amazing stuff. Joe, we got to ask you. So, all right, we've established, I think, um, that you don't hate the White Sox, um, but surely you hated the Cubs. I mean, Andre, <laughs> Andre Dawson bumped you after the called third strike at Wrigley Field in 1987. He got tossed and 14 bats tossed onto the field by Andre Dawson. That's you, Joe West. My goodness. How are you and Andre these days? Because that's a very sweet, kind man we've come to learn yes, uh, these he, past he decades. Yes, he was a sweet, kind man. I think the National League fined him $1,000 for that. And on the check he wrote to the National League, he wrote, Donation to the Blind. <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing. So he must have he must have mellowed quickly thereafter. That it didn't take long. Well, he 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 was upset that I called him out on strikes, and uh, you know they're all competitors. I get that. I understand that. Yeah. And uh, I I gave him enough rope. I I, I said, you know, we're going to play with or without you. You can do what you want. And so he said something, and I kicked him out. <laughs> And, th- and that was that. Now, a little bit on balls and strikes here. You once said, Joe, I believe that you would award a strike, possibly, even if it was outside the strike zone, if a pitcher successfully made his pitch and hit the target. Oh, I, I never said that. No? Okay, because that was attributed no. to you. No? Okay. No. All right. I never said that. Okay. All and, right. Uh, John, John Smoltz actually, actually said that I would test young umpires, uh, young pitchers to see if they would argue if I called a pitch they thought was a striker. If I called the ball, I never did that either, mm. but I know the umpire that did it. <laughs> so. Did you teach, did you teach Leslie Nielsen some moves when you were the third base umpire in the naked oh, gun? My, my <laughs> word. When I got to that set, I pulled up in the left field cause they were having all the actors park in left field and he's rehearsing the national anthem. And all I can think of is what did I get myself? <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. 
and he was hilarious and fun to work with. And that was Priscilla Presley's first movie. She had done television, but she hadn't done she hadn't done a movie before. And she was, of course, she was the the female star of the movie. And uh, they were all great to work. With. George Kennedy was such a such a pleasure to work with. They were all fun. And uh, the first base umpire was Hank Robinson, who was a career minor leaguer, but his claim to fame was Lauren Green's double. If you ever saw Lauren Green on a horse, it was Hank. It wasn't <laughs> Lauren Green because Lauren Green was scared to death of horses. So this one morning, he tells us a story about his first acting job. He said, "Really?" He said, "What happened?" He said, "Well, it was I was an extra in this Gene Autry picture, and I'm a blacksmith." And so they came to me and said, Hank, we're going to give you a job. We're going to give you a speaking part. Well, when you get a speaking part, then you get paid residuals. Then you get a, a full lunch at lunch break. You know, <laughs> you can get a salad and whatever you want for lunch. When you're an extra, you just get a Coke and some potato chips. You know what I'm saying? So they tell him, Hank, we're going to give you this job. And your your speaking part is Gene's going to ride up on champion. He's going to say, do you see some riders come through here? And your response is, yes, I did. So Hank said, I sat there all morning going, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So they break. They go to lunch. He's so nervous he can't He can't eat. He's still rehearsing. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So they do the they do the thing. As soon as they come back from lunch, Autry rides up on champion. He says, did you see some riders come through? And Hank said, did I? The director goes, cut. Goes, cut, right? So Hank's argument with Leslie Nielsen in the movie was he's out, he's safe, he's out, he's safe. He's out the first time he ran out of the baseline. All right, you're out of here. And then I say, you can't throw an umpire of the game. And he says, all right, you're out of here. So the director sees us do that, and he says, Hank, he says, when he throws you out of the game, you bow your chest out and say, what do you mean? And so he says, okay. And I said, and then I come in on that? And they said, yeah, that's when you come in. Said, you want to rehearse it? Hank says, no, I got it. I got it. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he's going to get this right. No way. But sure enough, they do the thing, argument at first base. He's out, he's safe. He's out, he's safe. He's out. Why are you idiot? He's out the first time he ran out of the baseline. Unless the video soon goes, all right, you're out of here. And Hank bows his chest out, and he looks over his shoulder at me. He says, what's my line? <laughs> and when he said that, I said, did I? Because that was his line that he messed up with the Gene Autry picture. And when I said, did I, Leslie Nielsen said, would I? And Hank said, no, it's did I. And now they start going back and forth, did I, would I, did I? And the director's going, he's pulled his hair out. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had some fun. You, you had some fun doing that. Jo- Joe West, this has been an absolute pleasure. Joe West on 670 The Score. That was Joe West earlier today with Parkins uh, and Spiegel earlier in the week, excuse me. And I wanted to make sure that uh, baseball folks on a Sunday morning got to hear that guy. Um, interesting. I'll be checking out the podcast. I know they're supposed to have Jerry Reinsdorf on soon. Excuse me, Mr. Reinsdorf. How about Jerry making him buy 127 tickets for his farewell game? Made me pay for him. <laughs> As you should, Joe. It should be noted that after the Joe West interview, um, our producer Shane Reardon went and found video of the Mark Burley game that was discussed right there. And Mark Burley did not throw his glove. What did Joe say? 50 to 75 feet in the yeah, air? 60, 70 feet. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a misremember uh, there from Joe West as he 
seem to rationalize the reasoning for throwing Burley out, perhaps in his mind, uh, after the fact. Burley just kind of threw the glove on the ground after the second balk call. That's kind of all it was. It's more of a drop, really. Demonstrative for Mark Burley um, and he, what he has done historically, but not the big old toss from Joe. But, boy, that was fun. All right, phone lines are open. We've got some bonus hit and run for you here today. We're here not until 12, but until about 1230 when Cubs pregame will find its way to the air right here at 670. The score, Marcus Simeon. And Corbin Burns going a little bit later on for the Cubs and the Brewers in the finale of that series. 11-1 to and 9-1 to are the two finals from the first two games. Rough, rough stuff. Alfonso Rivas hitting leadoff for the Cubs in their lineup today. We can give you the rest of that lineup as we go. White Sox fans, as uh, you get ready to host the Angels again. I know there's a lot of folks out there in their cars headed either up to the town or over to the south side from parts wherever. This is a team worth seeing, these Angels. That is a real lineup, the number one offense in all of baseball, silenced by Vince Velasquez yesterday. Um, We have an update for you on Yoan Moncada's rehab down there at AAA. We have Cubs prospects to look at and zoom out a little bit and we've got a few other things that we want to get to along the way for sure including one of the smartest pitchers I know on some key issues that we see every day as we watch baseball and we will talk to Chris Kampka the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago at some point here as well dial it up and get involved at your leisure through on 2644-6767 is the phone number love these reactions here's one do I like Joe West now here's another one sorry I still hate Joe West I don't miss him Well, there you go. Well, thanks for listening. Really? I mean, that's the thing. Like, you're more than entitled to keep on hating the man. Absolutely. I'm not telling you not to. But um, I I found some of it interesting. That's for sure. Speaks with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Get yourself. Cam Connected. The man has a theme song. He deserves it. He is Chris Kamka. He's Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. And we like to check in on Hit and Run about the week that is. He always comes with a number or a nugget for both sides of town that speaks to the storylines of the moment. And he joins us right now on the Circle Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hello, Chris. Hello, Matt. How are we doing this Sunday? Uh, we are good, man. I enjoyed talking to Keegan Thompson earlier today. Dude has uh, pitched four times, multiple innings each time, and he's almost on a starter's routine. You know, four days off in between, sometimes three, sometimes five, but... That's that's a job. That's an official job these days in MLB, isn't it? That's an important job. I mean, look at how short that starting pitchers have gone in the games this season. So if you have a guy who comes in and then he and he'll eat a couple of innings, mm-hmm. I mean, that's super valuable because the majority of relievers are these days just one inning guys. And so if you have a guy besides your typical starters that can eat up a couple of innings at a time. I think that's a very underrated part of baseball teams nowadays. I think that is uh, absolutely true. Uh, still looking 
I believe, for our first complete game uh, on the year. Uh, and I think we'll be looking uh, a long time uh, for that. But um, at least in Chicago, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Walker Bueller had one for the, uh, the Dodgers the other day. Oh, that's right. Thank you so much. I appreciated yeah. that. I had the I, I had I had American League only up and not my full MLB. So we've got one. We're standing at one complete game on the year. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's a rare thing nowadays, and it should be appreciated. You know, as much as strikeouts are there, you got uh, the pitchers that are economical. Um, you know, everyone's going for the strikeout, and that requires a number of pitches. Yes, yes, it does. A terrific day for Vince Velasquez yesterday. We talked about him for a little while. We certainly picked up the socks against a real good lineup. But uh, as always, Mr. Kemp, good carte blanche for you for both sides of town. Take us somewhere. Yeah, and I think the the big number for Velasquez yesterday was zero is the number of walks he had. And and walks is the number one thing for the White Sox through the first month of the season, in my opinion. At 41 walks this season for the hitters, that's dead last in the majors. That's not going to work. Last year through 20 games, they had 72. Um, meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, they've issued 87 walks, third most in the majors. So they've given up. 46 more walks than they have drawn. And I think the walks and that that whole game around the strike zone is going to be a key number looking forward for the White Sox and the key to their success. Wow. So so they're at a negative 46 in terms of walks taken and walks allowed. Correct. Um, and, and that's not good. Yeah. Um, you know, Juan Moncada has begun his rehab stint and um, he will do a lot for that. One of the more patient hitters on the team. I wonder who else is uh, is below um, their their historic numbers, or is it really is uh, is, is it Grandal. largely is it's Grandal? It's Grandal. Grandal hasn't done it, but he had a really slow start last year, so I'm really not concerned in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the the team leader in walks is Jose Abreu of all people, who's really not known as a very patient hitter. But like you said, Moncada coming back is going to be huge. So, you know, 41 walks last in the majors, that's going to get a lot better because Moncada himself is going to help that tremendously. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's heavy stuff. 41 is uh, is low. Red Sox are next there at 48, then Oakland at 55. All the way at the top, it is the Padres uh, at 92 and the Mariners up there at 86 in terms of your most patient walk-accepting teams. All right, sir, want to flip sides? I don't know. Let's do it. What you got? So, um, Seiya Suzuki has played 21 games in the majors, oh. and he has mm-hmm. 13 runs, 14 RBIs, and 14 walks. So, I took those three numbers, and I'm like, how many – who's the last player – in the majors to start his major league career first 21 games with each of those numbers, at least 13 runs, 14 RBIs, 14 walks. All right, let's stop there. Let's stop there and just think about that. By the way, he's 0 for 11 in his last three games is say a Suzuki, but you're going with the overall start and we're looking at, um, give me this, give me the stats again, walks and runs and RBIs. 13 runs, 14 walks, 14 RBIs. I just picked the thresholds of what Suzuki has. Mm Mm-hmm. So the last major league player to do it, would you like me to give this away? Uh, well, let's think about it. So ma- last major league player to do it, because that's that's a serious start for a rookie to hit the ground running like that, uh, like he has, is quite something. And obviously he's not a normal rookie because of all the years in Japan. So trying to think who is the last MLB player 
to just debut like that. Do I have to go? I don't have to go to Ichiro, do I? No, you don't have to go far that back. Um, now it's not a player, probably a player you wouldn't guess. And I'm gonna, I'll just say this one because it's Michael Chavis. Okay. Uh, wow. Who has kind of found himself with the Pirates a little bit. But that was an American leaguer. Okay. What about the last national leaguer? The last national leaguer, this is fun. Okay. Last national leaguer to do this. Um, you watched a lot of it. Uh, Starlin Castro? Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. Wow. So Chris Bryant, yeah. So, so last national leaguer to start out with an offensive with at least, performance, at, at least, least those thresholds in the National League is Chris Bryant. That's right. And, and, and it's fun to point out the guy before Chris Bryant. It was Adam Dunn. <laughs> and I can't pass up a good opportunity to sneak an Adam Dunn reference in this show. I love that guy. <laughs> why, why did you love that guy? Because he, he hurt so many people's brains? Is that why you loved him, Chris? He's a complicated player. Uh, he drew a ton of walks, and he just hit the snot out of the baseball. I mean, some of those home runs he hit were just so much fun to watch. When the White Sox brought him in, I was like, yes, I was so happy for it. It just didn't work. I mean, the idea was a good idea to bring him in. He was what the White Sox needed, a lefty power bat with patience. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny because – I feel I, I think of him and Ben Zobrist in similar ways, and I'll tell you why. Both of them were statistical, not anomalies, but st- statistical marvels that we would talk about from time to time from a distance. Like, you know, Adam Dunn, I know those strikeouts are there, but you look at the numbers and he really adds up to being a good player. And Ben Zobrist would be like, how is that guy leading the league in war? How does that even happen? And then you live every day with those guys and you start to understand what they are as ball players, um, you know, on both sides of it, like living with the Adam Dunn experience, very different than reading him as a line item. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you put it very well, but, but done though. I mean, come on. He's a lot of fun. He pitched once and that was awesome. And I mean, I always like to blow people away by saying, you know, he stole 19 bases in the season once because yeah. he did. Yeah, he did. And a, and a quarterback, too, right? A high school, yeah. college yeah. quarterback? Um, Texas. But I, I don't think he got it. He was like a redshirt freshman or something. Didn't get a chance to play. Okay. Something to that effect. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he could throw. And, and, you know, he threw that one inning on the mound, and I was excited about that. And <laughs> just, you know, a fun player. I rooted for him so hard because he had that really bad struggle in 2011. Came back with 40 homers in 2012. So yes. Give him credit for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I will. Um, all right, Chris, you got your guy Adam Dunn in for quality conversation. Thank you, sir. You're the best. Enjoy yeah. the game today. All right, thanks. You all too. Right, you got it. That's Chris Kampka, who uh, works over at NBC Sports Chicago on White Sox games and is just a joy. So it's Patrick Sandoval um, pitching for the Angels today against Dylan Cease. I can tell you, um, by the way, it's Strobin and Corbin Burns for the Brewers and the Cubs, but I can tell you, about the matchups for this coming week, the Cubs and the White Sox. Tuesday night at Wrigley, Drew Smiley, who's been pretty good for the Cubs, one and two with a two seven nine ERA against Michael Kopech, who uh, last time out threw a career high in pitches, zip and zip in terms of wins and losses, but a 1.42 ERA for Kopech. So Kopech and Smiley on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, we've seen this one before, Giolito and Kyle Hendricks. Lucas Giolito at Wrigley, 
against Kyle Hendricks. That is your Wednesday night game. Both of those games starting at 640 Central. You'll hear pregame right here on the score after the Parkins and Spiegel show during the week. Bonus hit and run here with Spiegs up until about 1230. When we come back, one of the smartest pitchers I know on some very key issues that we see every day in the game. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Live ball. Center field. Nimmo's going back toward the track. It is gone! And the Phillies take the lead! Kyle Schwarber golfs one out of the yard. It's his fifth home run of the year. It's a 2-1 Phil's lead. My goodness, long time coming, huh? Had a chance to watch some of that game last night. Phillies and the Mets. After the Cubs were done, White Sox finished earlier in the day. There always seems to be a national game on these days. Last night, Fox Sports won, giving me the game on a Saturday night. Friday nights, you got the game on Apple TV, which you can still see via the MLB TV app and interface on your smart TV. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. And this is your final Sunday morning without a national baseball game. Because starting next week on the 8th of May at 1030 in the morning, Jason Benetti will be your play-by-play man for the national broadcast of a game on Peacock. That is the Xfinity slash NBC streaming service. And if you have Xfinity, you can just watch it that way. Otherwise, I'm not sure what the protocol is for Peacock. I know it's available as a standalone. I I, I should look and see if they're going to be you're going to be able to access that like you can the Apple games right now through MLB TV. But I'll tell you this, and we're going to talk to Jason this week on Parkins and Spiegel on the score. Danny Parkins will be back from his paternity leave tomorrow. Um. I really like what Peacock is doing with the broadcast format. What they're doing is bringing in a local analyst from each team to work along with the national guy. So the national guy being Benetti, and if you've watched Jason at all, obviously here and when Steve Stone was off and working with Bill Walton and uh, Ken Tremendous, Michael Schur or Mike Huff, or whoever he's had a chance to work with. And certainly when you see him do college basketball with a million different people and um, Olympic baseball stuff, Jason's a really good conversationalist. He's very comfortable with multiple people and with really anybody. So the fact that it's going to be national guy and then two locals, one from each team, means that there's really a much lower risk of uh, the broadcast coming off out of town stupid, which is just so often what happens, isn't it? Because you watch these guys in the playoffs and you're like, man, I know this team. I've watched this team all year and you guys are coming in here and you're expected to know. Or you watch on a Sunday night and you're like, you know, I see these guys every day, see this ball club every day. You don't know as much as me. And then they they try and, and try to get up to speed. So I'm very interested to hear what that kind of broadcast sounds like. And we will check in on that um, during the week in a conversation with Jason, as I mentioned. But 
One of my favorite people to talk pitching with is Bronson Arroyo. Hot Stove Cool Music was last night in Boston at the Paradise. It's coming up in June at the Metro. Such a great event every year. Bronson Arroyo, the former Red, the former Red Sox, the former uh, National, and much, much more was on our show earlier in the week. And he had good thoughts on a few different things that come up all the time. And that is PitchCom, the brand new PitchCom system where the catcher is wearing something around the leg. Wilson Contreras wears it on the right thigh and then types in a sequence of buttons there to decide what pitch he wants. And the pitcher can hear it in his hat. Other ball players are allowed to wear a hat with that receiver. So sometimes the middle infielders, sometimes the center fielder. I think it's up to three different Fielders are allowed to wear it. So everybody's in the know on the signs. And I asked Bronson Arroyo how he would have enjoyed that during his pitching career. Have you uh, have you seen this pitchcom stuff, man? Have you had a chance to check that out at all? Where like you'd have the sensor in your hat, and they're using it now. You have the sensor in your hat, so you hear the signals. The catcher is punching them in um, to the wristband. Would you have enjoyed and adapted to that kind of thing? Yeah, I think I could have. Um, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed the game going quickly. I actually, I don't know how many guys have ever done this, but I, I picked probably the last five years of my career only using a one and a two. So if, if, if Ryan Hannigan or David Ross was catching me and they put down a fastball in the inner half as a one, um, I could throw a sinker in there. I could throw a four-seam fastball. I could throw a changeup in there. They didn't know what I was going to throw. And if they, if they put a curveball down, they didn't know if they were going to get it 68 and it would be 12-6 or if I was going to throw 80 miles an hour and make it really slurvy. Um, but I didn't throw that hard so they could kind of adapt to my style. But we did that to try to speed the game up because the one thing that you're doing is when you're calling the whole game the way I was and you're, you're not really leaning on your catcher to tell you what to throw, you, you have to shake your head a lot to get to the next pitch. And so if he could just push a button and uh, tell me what he wanted, and then I could just you know quickly shake to the next one. It probably would have been enjoyable, I think. So Bronson Arroyo uh, would like the thing if he could just pitch, if he could put the button. But what's you picked up there on the end, and I followed up on him uh, on uh, uh, on with him about was that he kind of called the game. He called his own game. That. And he would have loved that to wear the pitch com himself. We've yet to see that. I'm still waiting on that. See if we're going to get that at some point. I'm imagining Max Scherzer out there telling James McCann what he's going to do. How about James McCann getting to catch his second no-hitter of his life? First one with Giolito, second one with five different Mets pitchers this week. But I'm waiting for that first pitcher who says, I'll be the guy, thanks, who's going to be calling the game. Here's a little more Arroyo on the pitch clock and uh, whether this will be a good adjustment or not for Major League Baseball pitchers. Yeah, I, you know, guys like Wade Miley who pitch really quickly, and I pitched relatively quickly when I played, um, you know, you don't really think about it because your team is happy that the pace of your game is going up. The only guys that are going to care about the clock are the guys that are super slow and they're going to be complaining about it. You know, I think most guys have an internal – I think the hitters are all the same too. We have kind of an internal clock that – um, we operate under, right? And you've been doing it for such a long time, it's hard to break those habits. And so when you ask somebody like a Nomar Garcia Parra, you know, hey, you got to get back in the box and you can't do all that stuff. You know, it's hard, it's hard for guys to do that because we've built our entire um, preparation around some of these oddities that it become, you know, superstitions or just something that makes you feel comfortable out on the field. And so it's, it's, it's tough when they, throw you, when they throw you stuff like that and try to, you know, put a timer on the game. was talking with my nephew the other day, um, score listeners. My nephew 
is the broadcast voice for the Indianapolis Indians. That's the Pittsburgh Pirates AAA team. And he was marveling at what the pitch clock has done. Just the way that the games are moving, the speed and pace with which the games are played, how pleasant it is from the broadcast perspective, how he's now been able to get the rhythm of it and just, you know, get games are tighter. So it, it, it'll be coming, and I, uh, I look forward to welcoming it, that's for sure. One more from Bronson Arroyo on the aforementioned Joe West and also Angel Hernandez, who had a very, very tough um, night last Sunday night on the game of the week. Here's Arroyo on those guys affecting him or not. Oh yeah, we we definitely would talk on the field. I I never I never yelled at an umpire my whole career. Oh, I really? mean, I always never. I I viewed umpires as like police officers. It oh. was like it, I didn't feel like anything good was going to come from me, from me embarrassing them or or yelling at them or getting into some sort of confrontation with them. I felt like I always needed to just like, you know, stuff it down. Maybe I would have a conversation about something that I felt wasn't right or ask him why was that a ball or whatever, but I was going to do it in a really subtle way because at the end of the day, everybody, you know, we're just humans. And if, if I'm pitching in a playoff game and I got this guy behind the plate who just doesn't like me because I got into it with him a month earlier, I'm pretty sure that two, two pitch on the black on the outer half is not going to go my way. And I was, I wasn't trying to put myself in that position. See, I can confirm that you are still that way. I texted you. I tried to get you to dunk on Angel Hernandez with me uh, via text. And you just, you wanted no part of that, man. You were like, ah, I never worried about who was there. He never, like he never cost yep. you or the, or you're just not willing to admit it at this point. Which, no, which no. Is and it? Ab- listen, absolutely. Tr- the truth is. So when I played with Kurt Schilling, he knew every umpire's name. He knew exactly their tendencies and and where they would normally call their game so let's say there was an umpire you know joe west so let's say he oh he, he likes to call the ball up in the zone a little bit more than most guys like kurt would know all of that stuff i purposely didn't even want to know who the umpires were and what zone they would call because i never wanted to go into a game feeling like i was already in trouble you know because oh this guy has a tight zone so oh, i'm pitching against you know, this lineup, the Yankee lineup tonight, that's already tough enough to beat. And I'm thinking about the guy behind the plate who's got his tight zone. I didn't want to kind of put that in my mind. So I just went out and pitched every game as if the umpire was like a robot. And I would just adapt to his zone as the game would go on. Sensible stuff from uh, Bronson Royal. Love talking, pitching with that guy. 670, the score is where you are. Hit and run would be wrapping up right now, but it is not. Cubs baseball coming up at about 1235 or so. That means if you want to hop in and talk Cubs or talk White Sox, you can do so at 312-644-6767. That's the phone number for some bonus baseball conversation. Um, I need to apologize to a player on the south side, and we need to dissect mechanically what we're going to get from a very important player on the north side that's among what we will do next on hit and run here on the score t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning right now families and small businesses can save up to 20 percent versus at&t and verizon when they switch visit your local t-mobile store today Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. 
Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.